Boom. Matty Brumby. Nice to meet you, mate. How good. I've got to thank my cousin for this, Michelle, for hooking us up. Mate, your story is the epitome of what I'm trying to do here, any given chance. I'll let you introduce yourself, okay? So to just tell the people and the listeners out there what you've done. Yeah, so Matt, it's all good. Last name's Brumby, so that's always been a bit of a, you know, Australian thing, especially when I was in, in defense. Nickname was Horse, so we can either be Gromit, as grown up as a surfer as you have. Story, we'll just go quickly and then we can go back at all. Grew up in Tassie, little surfer on the coast. I was always on the water. And then I was in the Navy cadets for a fair few years. My old man had an accident when I was young. We ended up getting like a mini payout. And dad's like, right, you're not going to year 11 after year 10. We're going around Australia in a mobile home. Let's go. So surfboard, rollerblades, little mobile home, off we went. We got nearly halfway around Australia. My sister had a baby. And then mum's like, we're going home. And then the next thing we just, Western Australia was a blur, mate. And come back and then we get home and dad's like, what are you doing? I'll get a job. Yeah, you will. You'll get a job. So ran into a mate of mine. I said, what are you up to? He's like, I'm going to Navy recruiting. I'll come along. While I was there, the guy said, oh yeah, might as well do the interview while you're here. And literally it was like 36 days later, mate, we were signing the dotted line and off I went and was 16 and a half year old, joined the Navy. Then everything was great from there. Like I'd ever never regret joining the military and we'll get to that but i met so many people and then the cool surfing that i got to do as a kid going around australia just expanded i met three older guys that were mid-20s and that was it it was grommet i was you know 17 at that stage and then they took me everywhere through victoria and then i got my first posting to nowra and then that was it whole coastline of where now is, you know, from Binalong and all the way up and down Jarvis Bay. And that was it. The boys were like, right, we're taking you. So I just had this amazing experience of everything was the ocean. Everything was the water. Then, you know, went to sea for the first time, got to travel, went to Hawaii, through Indonesia. I didn't get to surf because I wasn't there long enough. And then, yeah, I was training to be a Navy diver. I was like, I want to do something else. I didn't like the job I was doing in defense. So I'm like, I want to do better. I want to do something. You have to do a, an acceptance test to be a Navy diver and it goes for about 14 days. Yeah, so we're doing beach sprints one night, mate, and I end up collapsing. I got up off the ground, tried to take a few steps and fell over again. This isn't right. So they took the, the weight off me and the boys made a bit of a joke about it. You know, and here's the Oxyviva. You might need this to keep running. Dropped it, couldn't run. And then the instructor who was a really good mate of mine at the time said, all right, sit back, told everybody to keep going. He sat me down. Looked me dead in the eyes and just said, mate, you're back. It's way too important. You're too young. Taking you off the course. That was Friday night. I was pretty heartbroken. All I wanted to do, you know, for three years, I'd been trying to get back on this course. And I thought, all right, what am I going to do now? And then, so Saturday, I really struggled to walk still. Something was going wrong. I rang a mate of mine on the Sunday and said, I have to move my motorbike. It's parked on the wharf. It's not allowed to stay there. And the ship we're sailing for a four-month deployment. So meet me at the road. I'll drop my motorbike at your place. And then you give me a lift back to the ship. It's like, yeah, sweet. About halfway through the ride, I've just blacked out and ridden off the road, went down over an embankment and, yeah, woke up paralyzed from just below the chest down. Hectic. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Mate, I know what you've achieved because anyone can, anyone out there, just Google Matt Prumby's name and you can see after this accident what he has happened. Like I said, I wanted to keep it raw. Mate, that's massive being young and that whatnot. Let's just touch base and then we'll jump back to the beginning and go back to the beginning after that. And this is why you're on the show is because you didn't take no for an answer. 
and mate, you've gone out and smashed records. So just let everyone else know what, what you've achieved after that. In sporting wise, sporting wise, yeah. realistically, it's um, getting to captain the Australian team for the Invictus Games is pretty is right up there. I have two world titles for Ironman, so I have the seventy point three world title that I won in uh, two thousand and sixteen. I think it was when I missed out on the Olympics. So I was trying for what they call para triathlon at the um, Rio Olympics. A little bit of politics, to be honest. Competing, doing pretty well. Just got in the top ten in the world. Missed out on going to a world championship, so I slipped outside of that. And then they ended up taking the top ten to the Rio. I was pretty heartbroken. I realised that uh, you know, there's got to be something. So I thought, you know what? Let's have a crack at a half Ironman. So a half Ironman's a a 1.9 kilometre swim a 90-kilometre hand cycle and a 21k race chair or run league. So I started training for it, and then I qualified for the World Championships. So I travelled to Luxembourg in Europe. I came third at that race, which qualified me to race in the Sunshine Coast, funny enough. Came home, won that event. That was my first world title. After that, kind of had a bit of a really big hole. There was this, you know, I didn't, everybody talks about having a high in your athletics or your career, and then having nothing. And then what do you keep to keep you going? You know, you'll be able to attest to this from being an athlete that there's got to be something that you do to fill that void. Mine literally made, to be honest, was PlayStation for a year. That's it. That's all I did. Did I, you get good at it though? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And like I was broke financially, broke physically. I had an yeah. injury that I just couldn't, I just kept going and going. And then, you know, you had this mindset of that's my goal and I'm getting there. Well, there's so much other stuff that needs to come together to help you get there. And I didn't understand that at the time. Then the Invictus Games came around in 2018. I applied, being ex-Navy, made the team, which was was amazing. And then not long after, I got asked, would I be the co-captain? So they have a male and a female captain of the team. I, I was shocked. I was like, you know, it's my first games. There's, you know, there's great, amazing soldiers here and ex-defense personnel that are, have crazy injuries. Like, yeah, I had a spinal injury, but I didn't break anything. I had like four breaks in my cheek and two ribs. That was it. I had no broken spine. I didn't have broken arms and legs. And I'm looking at military vets that are battle cas that are in helicopter crashes in Afghanistan. They've been blown up in Iraq. And I'm like, these guys are like literally not just a physical injury. How do they mentally go with that? And so I kind of struggled for a little while. Do I really need to be here? I'd been in a wheelchair for about 18 years. I really started to struggle. And then when I got asked to be a co-captain, I kind of realized that I have a different role. It's not just about what I'm going to do competing wise. It's what can I give of 18 years of having a spinal injury yes. and traveling the world and, you know, racing paratriathlon. I, I worked on a farm for four and a half years. I started to get my pilot's license. I still ride motorbikes. I had a jet ski. I've got a go-kart. It's like, what can I give back to people? And then I got a whole new lease on that side of it. I've yeah. said, okay, now and you wouldn't it. even known that's where you were heading while you were doing those things. You were just doing those things. Looking back on it now, you go, wow, I've put it together. That's why they selected me because I have this background. And yes, with that background, you can show everyone else along the way that it can be done. And everybody's dealing with something. Mm. Everybody is dealing with something. Wow. So how old are you now? 41. 41, young, yeah. strong. And you were up here because you were going to do the GC marathon. Obviously, I was in that as well, and it got canned. So you're up here training from living in Adelaide. Yep. All our plans are on hold at the moment, isn't it? Isn't it? So uh, that was the thing. I moved to Adelaide from Tasmania, so I competed at Hawaii. I went back. I was like, right, I need to re-qualify. 
I want to go and do the full Ironman World Championship this time. So I went to Cairns, did the, the half Ironman there, won that, which gives me a slot then. There's only, there's only four slots in the world for hand cycle athletes to compete at Kona, you know, the be all and end all. And, you know, you stepped up from a 1.9K swim to a 3.8K swim. You've gone from a 90K hand cycle to 180K hand cycle and a 21K run to a marathon. And Hawaii is just hot. It's hilly. And so I originally came up here to train to Tweed Heads, an amazing couple and a really good mate of mine, Peter Rudlin, who's the, you know, the ex SSR and, and two commando guys was in a helicopter crash and having him as my support, like we just bounce. He got a little bit faster. I don't know, really fast. I got, I got that mate, you know. He's my best mate, Nordo, Cody Norton. I know you're listening, bud. And yeah, if he did 40 dips or whatever, <laughs> he'd all 40. 41. And then the next week, he'd be 42. And but best mates for life. But yep. it's they're the people in your life that actually help you get where you're going and whatnot. So nobody can do it on their own. No, there's certain parts of your mentality that help that. But the best part, of doing anything is doing it with people and having somebody that if you, you're having a bad day, you're not doing a good training session, they give you the nudge. That's and the right. real mate will give you the nudge. That's and right. And say, what are you doing? Let's go. Come yeah. on, get up. Yeah. I've had him call me a pussy in the game as well. As well, the game footy, he's like, what are you doing? You're running the ball. Pussy, like, get in there. And I was like, oh, shit, am I really? I thought I was going, right. All right. Sorry, sir. Have it again. But mate. Yeah, that's you it. You, you need those people in your life. Exactly. And yeah. if you don't have them, you're going to be lonely. So you guys are pushing each other. You're heading towards why then? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we, right, let's do it. This is the plan. We'll get over. And then I had a, another really good friend of mine. His name's Neil McCallum. He's an MBE. He's an Olympic boxer from the UK. Came yep. out to Australia. He's in the Australian Army now. Those two together. But Neil was always, there's a plan. Everything's written down. I wish I could have brought it for you. He literally has the piece of paper that he wrote. Every day we did something in a way and he gave it to me. And at the top of it, again, it's the making of a world champion. And I was, I went to Hawaii to finish it. I don't, yeah. I don't care about winning. It's just making Hawaii is amazing. Yes. Saying that you've competed the Hawaiian Ironman is nuts. That, that's what I wanted to so do. If people who are, who are listening at home or who don't know what we're talking about, the Kona is basically the be all or end all of ultra triathlon, marathon, everything rolled into one in Hawaii in some of the most crazy hilly landscape with hot weather and everything. It's a test. It's the ultimate test that people are. And anyone in the marathon or triathlon sort of community knows this, but anyone else out there, just Google it, look it up and then be shocked pretty yeah. much and go, you're an animal. So yeah. So heading over there doing that. How'd you go? Good. So I originally it was like, if we can finish, I'm going to be a happy man. And then we kind of said, look, if we can get around 12 hours, then I'm going to be coming home the happiest guy ever. And Ended up going 11 hours, 53, I think it was. I won by about 26 minutes or something. So Ooh. yeah, it was good. Like out of the water, I'm kind of like, because I was racing with a really good mate of mine. He's Jason Fowler. He's done the event six times. He's won it twice. Now this guy's is, is amazing. I'm like, where's Jace? Like he's, he should be here with me right out of the water. The poor bugger didn't have the best day off the bike. Again, the boys are like, Jace is an hour behind, mate. Like seconds, about half an hour. Take your chance. Just cruise. Just if all you got to do is get it done. The big thing for me was I just enjoyed the day. I wasn't stressed at any point. I wasn't trying to race anybody. And I think sometimes you don't need to race anybody. Just race yourself. That's exactly right. And I have been a massive component of being too competitive, going into a race, trying to run their race, 
I'm new to the sport of running and I'm doing all that, but just from being competitive in rugby league and doing myself a number. And I think that if you concentrate on yourself and all that, results sometimes speak for themselves. 100%. And you've said it again, the fact that you don't need to race somebody else. Yeah. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know that they might pop with halfway to go because they've gone out too hard as well. Correct. Well, they're pushing you to go out too hard. For me, I train specifically with watts on a hand cycle or an able body cycling bike. There's wattage meters that tell you the, how many watts you're creating when yeah. you're cycling. So I knew leading into Hawaii, I could ride at 100 watts, six hours. And if I don't go over that, I'm not going to pop. I'm not going to use too much energy. I've still got a marathon to go. Yeah, okay, cool. So every time I saw that, I was like, just calm down. I yeah. feel good. I feel great. It's a beautiful day. I'm passing people yeah. with downhills. Like, so a hand cycle flies on a downhill. Like okay. you take off. On an uphill, a little bit harder using your arms to get back up. So there was one lady, she was amazing. Every time we go up the uphill, she'd be like, hey, how are you? And then on the downhill, I'm like, hey, I'll see you on the next uphill. This went on for about 30 ah. kilometers or something. And that makes that 30 kilometers go, yeah, gone. Next yeah. thing you know, okay, cool. Now I'm, okay, I'm at halfway. I'm on the way home. Yeah. Oh, it is easy. Coming home. Let's go. And then I had a really good mate of mine, Anthony Bonacusero. So he's an ex tennis player in a wheelchair. He's won a bronze medal at the games. And so he and his wife came over with their new daughter and twice during the event, they were on the side of the road, just screaming and, you know, like, and then at the 150K mark, he was out there again, you know, in the middle of the day and, and they're the things that make it. Like I could yeah. hear him screaming as I go past and I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, mate, I couldn't believe that about the, the running community and the triathlon community and whatnot. Running my first one the other week, that people just come there and cheer. They know what you're going through and they're just like, you gay, like. You don't know, you just liking watching me being yeah. in pain. Thank you. Like, how good's this? And that was my first, I've never been to an event or anything like that. I didn't understand it. I, you know, I go watch rugby league games, I either blow up because someone's done something wrong or, you know, you're angry or because there was a disappointment or drop ball and then you're, yeah. you're, you're euphoric or you're down or you're, you're that. You're not just, there was never any, wow, let's go camaraderie for everyone there. And that's what happens at these events, isn't it's it? It's amazing. And they line up. And I'm sad you didn't get to do the Gold Coast Marathon. It's an amazing event. I did it the year I went to Hawaii because I needed, I'd never pushed a marathon in a race yet. I needed to know whether I could at least do it or what I was going to feel like. And the people are just everywhere. And the same with the triathlon. There's so many people on the side of the road spectating. And then you get into the finishing shoot of Hawaii, you can't hear anything. And these mental. people are there this, for hours. From the time the pros finish around the eight hours something, to the time the last guy finishes at just under 17 hours, they're there. Yeah. And they're screaming for that last whole mile going into the finishing shoot. And yeah. it's just, it's an amazing feeling. You feel no pain in that last mile. It's just the voices push you on. Then you go up over the finish line and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> Fall down, but you're just still on that high. And then the next day you go, oh, that's a bit sore. Oh, <laughs> sore, mate. I couldn't <laughs> move. Like I literally, the boys had picked me up, put me into the shower that night. Pick me up out of bed the next day, pick me up and put me in the car. Wow. It wasn't until the next night that I could literally start to push myself in my chair. My arms were so fatigued. Wow. So, and yours is, like I said, a normal one is full body. You're going hell for leather. You're swimming, it's all arms. Your bike ride, it's all arms. Your chair, it's all arms. Oh, it's not all, it's all core and everything yeah, like that. But yeah. you're relying on those suckers to get you through. So were you picking up food? Could you eat oh, food? Oh, like, mate, no, not for that first <laughs> night. I was shocked. Like, and, they just they had enough. They, yeah. The next day, they're like, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing I this. I don't like you anymore. Oh, yeah. Go away. And the so, only reason I got out of bed the, the second day was because it was a drop. 
oh, gravity is my friend at that stage. I kind of lined my wheelchair up and I'm like, Ugh. and I was in. The boy's like, you're right. I thought you me in my chair. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> Just a quick one before we go back to the start, because I, yeah. I want to know, growing up all the way to here, it's, it's like I said, from what I've seen and what I know, sensational story. Well, how much do you burn through doing something like How many calories? Like, what do you reckon you do, do to your oh. totally body? Are you up in like the tens, 20,000 calories? Yeah. I, know, I know a marathon is probably about 4,000, 5,000 calories. Yeah, it'd be a With lot. a swim it'd and then a, a bike ride, you'd be up around the 15,000. Yeah, I'd have to have a look. One of the cool parts about this was the day before when you do the whole check-in and sign-in and they do a race briefing, one of the guys said, he goes, this will be the easiest training session you've ever done. And I clicked hey. and I was like, ah. Oh. He goes, no training session. Can you carry all the food, all the water and everything that you're going to have access to on the course? Yeah, so every course. 18 to 20 kilometers on the bike leg, there's an aid station. And so you replace your water, you replace your food. And for me, the big thing was cooling down. So okay, being paralyzed from just below the chest, and my, I'm at thoracic six, so T6, I only sweat above my level of injury. Below my level doesn't sweat. So if my legs get hot, they're oh, they're super hot. If they're cold, they're super cold. So my heater and radiator is my chest and arms and my face. So in Hawaii, when you're in super hot days, humid, windy, and then you're laying six inches off the ground in the lava flats, you're cooking. So I was constantly water over my face, water over my face, water over my neck, just trying to keep my core temperature at a level where I could perform at what I knew I could. But that second you start to either burn a match when you've used a bit too much energy on a climb or you feel your heat starting to rise a little bit, you just got to back it down. There's a long you day listen. there. Yeah. You got to listen. It's a long yeah. day. You've just got to. And then when he said it's the easiest training session, I'm like, he's right. Every training session you do, you want to get through. Yeah. That's all it is. You've always got to have a goal. Goals are amazing. But the goalposts can change. Mid-event, you may be struggling. So, okay, look. Don't keep the goalposts at the same place because you're only going to struggle more. Bring the goalposts back a little bit. Yeah. Okay, this is my new goal. Let's do this. Sometimes oh. you get a little bit worse. Sometimes you may be feeling a bit better. I might push that goalpost out a little bit at the end of the day. How am I feeling? And then when you get into the run leg of it, there's one part they call the energy lab. And it's they call it that because there's an old energy lab there. But it's the sucker of all yours because you've just gone over halfway in the marathon. You've turned around and now you've got to climb out of there. And it's now it's starting to get that last bit of the day. You're starting to get a bit hot and you're like, right. That afternoon sort yeah. of, yeah. And then you got to get out of there. You got to know to leave something yeah. there. Yeah, and on the, on the very final climb of the day, I had my head down and it was just starting to get dark. I pulled my sunnies off and I tried to put them inside my helmet and I dropped them. And I just thought to myself, this is funny because I had a conscious thought of 200 pair of Oakleys, Ironman world title. Yeah, I'm going to leave them. And by this stage, mate, <laughs> you actually were thinking that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get him. No, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm literally grinding like, push, push. I'm like, once I get up this hill, all downhill with the finish. The next thing you know, I could hear this. I'm thinking, what? Someone's catching me. Like, yeah. and I look back and there's a guy, one of the spectators is running with my Bullshit. No way. Hey, man. I was like, <laughs> you're a champ. So he runs beside me, sticks him in my helmet for me. And I was like, hey, you legend. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then turn the corner. There's a fast downhill, 60 odd k's an hour. I'm tucked in. This is so sad. No. I was like, oh, this no, I just, ah, just wish you ran up and gave it to me. And then I've lost them. Yeah. Oh. Right. And then you turn that last corner and, and yeah. from there, you just, 
then the emotion starts kicking in, you know, yeah. you've been on the road for 11 hours, 50, whatever by then. Yeah. You're out of everything. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to win. Like, warehouse is like, wow. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Hey, able boy, get out of my way. Boy. And so the finishing sparrow and I'm pushing fast now, like energy's kicking. People are pushing you and you're like, I'm going, there's the finish. And then these two guys are running and they're obviously stoked. They're finishing an Ironman. And I'm coming flying up behind them in my race chair. Like, yeah. hey, hey. And I punch the guy in the leg, like, get out of the way. Because I didn't want to crash, you know. And then, yeah, another guy was literally standing in the middle of the thing as I've come up and over the little rise. I was like, hey, mate. Like, <laughs> so I'm nearly collecting. Move it or lose it. People in the last hundred meters. You know? And I was like. Um, and they're all battling as yeah. well. They're, they're all out. They're like, oh, no. oh, what? Yeah, what a journey it must have been to be that and then get that win. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, crazy. All right. Let's dive back into it because I know you talk, you spoke about it there, loving growing up surfing, growing up down in Tasmania. How'd you get into the water down there? Because it's fucking freezing. It's freezing out. You were speaking about it just before. Four threes is your minimum wetsuit. Yeah. I mean, you got some great swells over over the other side, ship storms and what was the other place you were talking about? So Cape Shank. Cape Shank. There. All this is like in Bruni Island. But then on the northwest coast, if you head out to Marawar, it's just ocean. Mad ocean swell out yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's big, it's, cold, and the swells come yeah. from miles and miles yep. and miles and miles and miles and hit those. Then you go down the east coast where it's a little bit warmer. You may get away with it. It's me too. Or on a really sunny day, you might put it, take a spring out if you're crazy. Yeah, no. But the swell down the east coast is more like here, always a bit smaller, maybe not as powerful. But the west coast is like, if you want to go surf some, some pretty mad surf, you either go down south. Yeah. Down at Bruni or, or, you know, Shipston's now has become a bit famous, but all the West Coast, when you go down and you surf Marawar or down there, it's just, and yeah, like I, first few times you go surfing, cause we used to go swimming and all the time. So you're kind of used to the water anyway. And then when I found surfing, I was like, who introduced you? Just a random mate had a real old school 20 in his backyard. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what are you doing with that? How like, old? Year six, I yeah. think I was the first time I got that board. Yeah. And then that was it. I like, I was hooked day one, paddling out, having no idea. I didn't, I knew nothing about surfing. I was a good swimmer yeah. as a kid. I had that, I could paddle, but I had no idea. I remember the first few times I surfed, I was surfing whitewater. Like, it went, you're not getting out faster. You've got no idea how to duck dive. You've got no idea of anything. And I'm telling you about that first duck dive in Tassie sometimes when it's cold. Oh, talk about ice cream headache. So I just remember surfing. That down at Cape Shank, actually, and I'm like, you couldn't get out. So yeah. It's way out there. But so you just surf in the white water and, yeah. and then eventually you get a little bit better and then you find other people that are surfing that are, are a lot better than you are and then they start to. And it's normally always someone older. We were speaking about this, the surfing community, especially growing up around our age group, that's how you learn to surf. Someone had a board of an uncle that was sitting under a garage. That's exactly Not these it. days. These bloody three-year-olds have got custom-shaped boards for their weight and all that design out there now. I had to basically beg, and I come from a surfing family, you know, I just had dad's boards and they were like six tens and all that. I'm like three, four years old, tucking them under me, wing this big thing like that, running down the beach. And the same thing. And all my mates would come raid whatever board we could get our hands on. And then once the older guys, you know, the teenagers or, or the older guys get you in the surf community. It'd be like, all right, we're doing this trip. You're coming. And you go, dad, dad, we're going down here, down north. He's going, jumping to go. I need 20 bucks. Yeah. All right, go on easy. 20 bucks. Yeah. Jump at the payphone and home dial me when you get down there. Make sure you're right. And that was the surfing community. Everyone trusted everyone. And you just all looked out for each other. Growing up on the Sunshine Coast, 
there was no four three weddies up there. It was board shorts ninety percent of the year. So we're uh Jealous. We're very lucky. But I just wanted to make that point that that's how you get into surfing, isn't yeah, it? You're exactly right. It was a board laying. I had no idea. Then my best friend at the time's like, oh, I'll go and find a surfboard then. Yep. So his family went and found some board and I was like, he's just gonna twin thin. And then and then I'm like, right, I need to get a job. Yeah. I need to work. So I did Friday night paper runs. People don't even know that, mate, but used to deliver a paper on I did Friday them. night, right? Yeah. So I did that. I sold programs at the football on Saturdays and every cent I had was ready to get it. And then a, another bait had a board that he was getting rid of and it's like, right, can I pay it off? Yeah. All, all right. Grommet. Like, so hey. sweet. I'm playing a new board off. And then mum, Christmas and birthdays. <laughs> That's forever. all it was. Yeah. Can, can I put all my Christmas and birthdays together to get a new, get a new board? board. Right. No. But I really need a new board. I think I had to mow, I think it was something stupid, like 40, 40 times before I got my first custom that dad would bought me. And I try and mow the grass twice in a day. And he goes, no, that doesn't count. That's not two. He goes, all you did was cost me more fuel. Like, <laughs> yeah, look, I cut it there and I cut it again because I was trying to get me custom. Obviously, um, mum and dad growing up, we had a house and everything like that, but we weren't by any means well off. And yeah. dad, 40, 50 hour a week worker, mum the same, looking after a couple of kids. We had to wait for boards. We had to, you know, yep. earn them as well. That moment, that first custom came through though. You got to do your own spray. I spent like three weeks at home designing the spray on what I wanted to be bought and how I wanted it to turn out. And of course, Tommy Carroll was about around then and he had, I was thinking about doing the same thing he has. <laughs> and, you know, there was all these other ones. Kelly Slater was coming on the scene. So, but that for me, surfing, that was the epitome of it as a kid. There was nothing better than growing up and all your mates coming in together and jumping onto that sport. So, and then the new video would come out. It all oh. go around VHS. Hey kids, there used to be a thing called VHS, yeah. right? And you'd stick it in a big machine and you'd all go around. You wouldn't watch it once. No. You'd watch it 10 times. That's over right. The weekend staying at your mates. And that's all you would do. And then all you'd want to do was get up the next morning. We had my birthday. I was 13 years old. I remember it. We all were sleeping in the backyard at mum and dad's, all the boys. And we woke up at the crack of dawn, mate. And we're like, I think that's swell we can hear. And so we walked from one side of my town to the river, paddled across the river to the other side of where the decent surf was. And we just sat there and went, I can hear it. I can't see it. It's pitch black dark, but I can hear it. So we got a campfire. We always had fires on our beach. Yeah. Always growing up. You and need them. We fucking oh, freeze. So there was this cool old dude and all we knew his name was, was Fritz. And he would walk up and down the beach, picking all the driftwood up and he put it in a big pile. And then we see, we went stupid. Back then, you didn't burn the whole wood. What was that for? Yeah. Right? Make it like a real fire. To dig a hole. Get yeah. Because you're going to be surfing all day in freezing cold, four threes. And then I remember the, you know, the first time you got your wetsuit with a little pocket in it and then you put like a couple of dollars in it and then you go to the shop and buy like two bucks worth of chips. Hot chips. Feed everybody. Yeah. And, that was, and two bucks worth of hot chips would feed everybody. Oh, yeah. It'd be yeah. This big thing. And, yeah. and then you just all day, or you'd buy a loaf of bread yeah. and you'd just toast it. And then. We just surfed all day. It was, but with all night we we're watching these videos and videos and videos. And it's like the next day you're so g'd up. Yeah. It's you're like, pumped. You don't care. Well, you don't even make it through the whole vid. Half time, halfway gets there and you're just like out the door. You're coming. And like one guy's like, oh, I know it was 10 more minutes or something like that. <laughs> I'm out there. I'm out there. I'm gone. So what other sports were you into growing up, growing uh, up down in Tassie? AFL. I played that all the way through until year seven. And then mum and dad, like, you're too little. I was very little. I was a, 
a little kid, you know, they just see not doing it. Like yeah. you, you're going to get hurt, yeah. you know, while the other boys are growing, you're, you're so not. I wasn't happy with mum and dad for a year, I'll tell you. And that's when surfing really kicked off okay. because I wasn't playing footy now. What am I doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go surfing then. So it really took off at that year. That's why when you said what year, it would have been that year six or seven, really, because I wasn't allowed to play footy anymore. And then Kaipo went away from sport for a while because I was just surfing. And that's yeah. all I wanted to do. I knew that I'm just going to travel. I'm just going to travel. And, Takes over your life, and, doesn't it? And then mum and dad got the, dad had his motorbike accident. Years and years later, finally, all right, bought a house. Go, so originally dad had his own little business. One of his mates said, sell your trucks and your excavator brum and come and work in the bush. And my old man had always kind of grown up being a bushman. You know, we'd always cut our own wood and all that stuff. And uh, we went bankrupt. Dad, he didn't work enough. So dad bought, sold all our gear to buy one big machine for the bush. And the guy said, oh, I'll only need to work three days a week, four days a week. I'm fine. I own my gear. Dad's like, well, I can't. I need to work five, six days a week. Yeah. This machine off. And I need your machine. We've got to work together. Yeah. And then that was it. So bankrupt. Never forget that. But that's another. So then everything come, becomes harder. You know, yeah. and that's why I need to get a job. I need to start. You know, mum and dad can't buy me anything anymore. Yeah. I, I need to get out and get this done. Mm. Right. But it teaches you a good ethic too. So I started being a little cashier boy at, at Rolf Voss, it was called. It wasn't even Woolies back then. It was called Rolf Voss. So I'm check out chicken and, and I'm selling the programs and I'm, I'm trying to do anything I can to get money. Need money for surfing. Yeah. And wetsuits are expensive. Every other kid at school had stussy pants and cool shoes and all this stuff. Well, we went to the surf shop one day and little beach beat and Teresa, she was always amazing and we didn't add much, but she had a little set of corduroy pants. Corduroys, yeah, right? the cords, so yeah. I had a pair of town and country corduroy pants and dad went and bought me a set of Blunston boots. Right? Everyone else was wearing these cool. It came back, mate, like cords and blunnies. Blunts, yeah. Like that, that, they rolled that into town thing, and only a couple of years later oh, too. Yeah, yeah. Was, we only had it because that's all we could afford and yeah. dad knew the blunnies had last me all year. Yeah. Like, shoot. And mum only bought me the pants because they were half price. And mate, you see, it's funny you speak about that, about like going to work and whatnot. School wasn't for me. I've spoken about this a few times, but uh, <laughs> I tried to go back there in the middle there and I was so focused on going back to school and, uh, and then it just didn't pan out. But the moment I got kicked out of school, they're like, you haven't rocked up for a week. What have you been doing? I was like, I've been surfing, but they go, you, you can't have it here. I was that scared to go home. And tell dad I've been kicked out of school that I went straight in and I walked the whole main street of Clown until I got a job. And I got, went home that afternoon and I was like, um, oh, dad, kicked out of school. He's like, what? I got, well, I got a job. I start tomorrow. <laughs> He's like, all right, that's all right. And I was, cause I was, I knew if I don't have a job when I go home, I'm going to give me ass kicked. You know? uh, yeah. But yeah, because same thing, you know, we, we had to, by that age, 14 or 15 or something, you had to provide your own way. Yeah. You know, 100%. Um, so, but that ethic that you talk, that you speak about, and I think surfing has a lot to do with that because you had to scrape by to get everything you ever wanted instilled in me in the future, in the life and coming down the track. So, so just surfing, 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 surfing until you what 18 and you were speaking about that. You traveled, went and did a bit of travel and whatnot and come back when your sister had a baby. And then from there, actually you get into that age, you've been around, you travel and you come back home. Dad's done the whole thing. Exactly like what my old boy did said, where's your job? Yeah, what are you doing? So where'd you go? How did this pan out from here? Literally just ran into a mate that I'd been in the Navy cadets for years and we grew up together. And he said, I'm going to recruiting. And I was like, you know what? I might as well do it. Originally, I wanted to join the Navy as a cook. So you, 
So you always had an idea of joining it. Like, nah, for, no, nah. for me, I never would have thought about that. You know what I mean? Nah, so the reason I did cadets was because our cadet unit was on the wharf. Oh, and okay. every second weekend we'd sail. We'd go oh, out yeah. sailing. Yeah. And sailing's awesome. And then we'd swim and we'd be doing cool stuff. We used to have a shooting range on the inside of our unit. We would shoot once every few months on the wharf inside the unit. <laughs> Like, who's going to love that as a kid? <laughs> like, and so I didn't realize the difference between the army and the air force, any of that. I was shooting in the Navy. Yeah. So I just thought, and then I didn't really know anything. I just, I got back. I was you know, just over 16. So I applied. I was like, yeah, I'll go as a cook. And they're like, well, you need to put down a second job. And I said to my mate, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a steward. I said, what's that? Does he work in a bar? Done. Steward. And then, so they ring me up and they're like, you can go in September with your buddy as a steward. Or you can wait till January and go as a cook. I was like, well, of course I'll go with my buddy. Yeah. He said doing bar work might as well. Didn't mention the 90% of the job, which was horrible, but we'll get to that. And like, so, all right, let's go. So three of us, I was 16 and a half. He was 16 and a half and another buddy from another unit. And we rocked up in Hobart to do the whole sign in, join the Navy, swear in. And we climb out of the lift and being kids, you know, I pushed every button on the elevator. <laughs> We get out, some guy walks in, we don't know who he is. The next day, oh, he's the officer that's doing the no. It's like, oh, I remember you three kids. I'm like, this is day one of my Navy career, and I've like been pinned straight off the bat. And it stayed like that with me. It was like, oh, I was always the one that was talking too much. Oh, I was always the one that was getting in trouble. Like, or the one that always getting caught. Yeah. yeah. Or, or owning up to it. Yeah. Like, okay. I was, I was yeah. Like that. yeah. Who was the one that did that? Put yeah. hands up. And then yeah. people look at you like, yeah, don't yeah. take me down with he, you. He asked. Yeah. I was the one that, that did it. Yeah. Like, and then, yeah, I met these really cool guys that were older than I am. And luckily, we got our first posting together. So we went from from being at Cerberus and surfing at um, all the way down there. But it was just all the way down there, you know, surfing bells and, and everywhere. The boys all took me around. And, and then I was like, oh, I'm getting posted now. They're like, so are we. We're going to HMAS Albatross. And I was like, oh, man, Pedro's coming. And Pedro was, as a kid, this guy's older and he could, was ripping. And it's, it was so cool to hang out with these guys. And then when we got to now, he's like, right, we're going to Ben Long for the weekend. And next weekend, we're going to go down and we're going to surf Big Lefts. Corajong Point, I think it was called. My memory's pretty shocked these days. But Corajong Point, I think it was. Big Lefts and Mad Left Hander. Aussie pipe, surfed out a few times. And then when the swell gets huge down there, you can surf in like Vincinia and Huskinson, like right on the inside of the bay. And it's just constant traveling. Literally, one of the ships had, one of the guys broke his arm. They said, oh, the ship's going to Tassie. And then my boss at the time said, oh, look, we'll send Matt. It's only a six-week jolly. I probably wasn't ready to go to sea yet. Normally, you've got to wait a bit longer. But the ship was going to Tassie. I'm from Tassie. They're like, we'll just send him. Six weeks, it's a jolly. Okay, cool. I'm going to see heaps of people weren't happy about it. You know, they've been waiting for years to go to sea. And yeah. when you join the Navy, you got to go to sea. That's what, that's what you do. That's what I kind of fell in love with the Navy because being at sea is amazing. The best sunsets and sunrises you'll ever see when you, especially when you sail around all the places that we go, you know, you do Southeast Asia, you do Hawaii. If you're lucky, you get to go. There's a ship that we went to China and, but just seeing different cultures, sunset and sunrise. Is the same anywhere in the in the world. It just had to mean how beautiful it is. Yeah. And you wake up in the middle of the morning and you're sitting out there having a brew, watching the sunrise over the ocean. When you work hard, when you're at sea, you're always doing something. And then you get other roles. So being a steward is very bad for me personally. 
you're making officers' beds, you're serving them their meals. You're this lucky for these people that have no respect, really. Yeah. I mean, it's in a bad way. There's some amazing officers that I met. But they're top dog. They yeah, don't have mate, time to worry about you. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want to be a steward. I want to do something else. Yeah. And so originally I thought, well, these good mates that took me around were medics. And I'm like, I got pretty good at that because I enjoyed it. I get reasonably good at something that I enjoy. If yes. I don't enjoy it, I'm just never going to get good at it. And so I liked medicine. It was really cool. And then I learned about underwater medicine. So people that work with clearance divers and they do all the hyperbaric chambers and they do all the stuff when divers have injuries or illnesses or they have the bends and, or get, they get narked and, you know, nitrogen narcosis. Yeah. Now what is that? What is bends and narc? Just so jump bends, in that. Nitrogen and narcosis is where the nitrogen bubbles in your blood haven't shrunk enough. You've gone down to a depth and then you've come up too fast. The bubbles don't. They don't go back to being a normal size. So they get stuck and they can cause serious pain or death if they get stuck in the wrong place. And so they have a hyperbaric chamber that recompresses the nitrogen in your blood back to a level where it can be absorbed. And then they bring you up slowly. And, and I thought, you know, that'd be amazing. So I went and saw the clearance diver on board and I'm like, I think I want to work with divers. And he looked at me and he said, you want to work with divers? Or do you want to be a diver? I can be a diver. Yeah, I reckon that'd be even better. So you've got to start off becoming a ship's diver, which is all the basic stuff for a warship. When you go overseas or alongside, you do cleaning and, and, and you do, they teach you to search for mines under the ship, which is kind of funny because you wouldn't really do it. That's when the clearance divers would come in, but that's how you train. So you, you become yeah. a ship's diver. And when you're overseas, you'll put grates on in certain in ports to protect your intake. So you don't suck all the, the rubbish and stuff from, from a port in. And you'll do that. You'll do any type of cleaning. We had to replace certain probes on the ship that measure speed and stuff like that underwater. So we had to replace that. We had a big net that we ran over in the middle of the ocean somewhere. So we spent a couple of hours one day under there cleaning all that from the propeller and the rudder. Awesome. It's a great job. So in the middle of the ocean, the other dive up. Yeah. Over you go. Yep. Don't go clean that out. Yeah. And we had to, re replacing the log probe was pretty mad. It was a you know $60,000 piece of equipment that we had to take under the ship and invert ourselves to remount it. God loved it. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be a clearance diver. And they do all the cool stuff as well. You know, they do the marine tactical operations and they do bomb disposal. And you now that's the cool part. Wow. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. To do that, you've got to be pretty fit being diver. And, and then they do an acceptance test that goes for 14 days. And if you pass that test, then you can go on the course to become a diver. Yeah. And I got injured. They dropped the canoe on my back. On the first one, I went for another two days and then the instructor came and said, we want you to come back, which is, it's kind of rare. You don't, you know, these things, once you fail that or you get taken off it. They don't give you that second chance yeah. usually. Yeah. So it's like, no, it's not for you, mate. You just head down another path. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, you're young. I was 19 at the time. And they're like, we want you to come back. Go and get your back sorted. There's two courses every year. And then just politics, defense stuff, little injuries took three years to get back on that acceptance wow. test. And then that was when, yeah, the Friday night, I collapsed on the beach, carrying the weight on our heads. Boys took me back to the ship, said, don't worry about it, mate. It's all good. Like, just do something else. So why did you collapse? What Was this from that injury, the canoe? This is the weird part about it's really hard to prove. And that's yep. why I've had a bit of problems with defense in this, this thing. But the neurosurgeons have stated that there's definitely a link between collapsing on the beach with running along the soft sand with a 10 kilo weight on your head. And my spinal injury is what they call a, a syrinx. So it's a pocket of fluid 
that is formed on the inside of my spinal cord. And when it's done, it's just put enough pressure on my spinal cord to paralyze me. Mm. And that happened while I was on my motorbike. So I'm riding in a dead straight line. And the last thing I remember is seeing a guidepost and then waking up on the ground. I'm like, how in the hell did I get here? And then the boys are standing over me and I'm like, oh, and they're like, can you get up? And I'm like, I can't move my legs. They're like, it's all right. It's all right. You've just had an accident. Just see how you're feeling. And man, my shoulder's killing me. Like, they're like, yeah, yeah, all right. Stop whinging. Ambulance is on its way. And then it becomes a bit of a joke as you do in defense. And then we're just kind of laying there and try to giggle a bit. And the boys, you know, pulling the piss out of me. And then I could hear the helo, the helicopter. Defense, you call it a helo. And yeah. So looking up and I'm like, oh, and then the doctor, she gets winched down and they start doing the whole thing. And she's like, all right, we're going to have to cut your jacket off. I'm like, no, just take it off. This is a one-off day and easy jacket. Don't be cutting this off me. She goes, no, we have to. And it's like, snip, snips, my jacket. <laughs> and then having a bit of a chat. No. She said my shoulder's hurting and she's like, all right, I'll give you some pain meds in a sec. And, you know, you get winched up into the helicopter and then that's it. Matt kicks in. Talking to everyone, hey, I've been in a helicopter before, I'm in the Navy. It's like it's just a million miles an hour, mate. The pen train or whatever she yeah. gave me kicked in, and I was like, Happy yeah. days, yeah, <laughs> I'm good here. I'm yeah. good. And then I get to Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney. The chick who was the head nurse there was my best mate's time, was his wife. I knew probably half the nurses from nurse Navy balls and going out with them, yeah, having yep. fun. And so that made it a bit personal. I feel a bit sorry for them, but it was hugely important for me because instantly had a support network of nurses and then my mum and dad are just amazing mum was there the next morning and didn't leave me i think the worst thing i've ever done is watch my dad walk in and cry when he ever seen him cry twice and that broke my heart like watching the old man walk in you know staunch it just destroyed him but right from there i was like there's got to be more i can do and there was there was two young kids in hospital with me both 15 years old hadn't I don't think they'd even had a relationship of any major type. They certainly hadn't ran amok for six years in defense like I had and traveled halfway around the world and I'd run a bit of a muck. I was a bit like that. So they had nothing. I knew early days. I'm like, all right, I've had some type of life and I'm sure I can have more. And then this weird noise every day, I could hear this weird noise next to me. I'm thinking, is this guy like farting all the time? Like, and then one of them, my mates bought me a BB gun. So in the middle of the night, I'd be shooting everybody's balloons in the hospital. And then I quickly hide the gun away and like, ah, ah, ah. one day I said to the guys that were visiting the dude next to me, I'm like, hey, how good's your mate? I was like, here, I've got this gun. Does your mate want to have a go of it? Pull the curtain back and the poor guys are quad. So quadriplegics don't have function of their harms. Oh, wow. So he's four affected limbs. Turns out the noise I could hear was him. <laughs> he couldn't speak. So to get the nurse's attention, not being able to move his hands or his legs at that stage was, Wow. Well, all the time, and I'm, well. I'm trying to give him the gun. It's like he can't use it. Oh, I was getting worse. Yeah, you know, as time goes on, he got leg function back, which was really weird. One of his arms kind of started coming back a little bit. He was a water skiing accident. But the first thing when he could start to whisper, because he could only whisper, his voice box was damaged. He actually dislocated his skull from C1. So it's like the second person in the world or something. They said that it ever survived it. And this dude's an Andy Fowler. He's amazing. So he, straight away, I'm like, man, I've got two good arms. I'm mobile. What a, yeah. And Andy then would get around in a wheelchair with his legs, but couldn't move his hands at that time. And I remember the first thing I heard him say, mate, it breaks your heart, is he, his girlfriend, Emma, at the time, 
he said to me, you don't have to hang around. You don't have to be. Like it was this wow. super whisper. They were on their own. I'm obviously right next to him in another bed so I could hear it. Yeah, they're still married today with two kids. And What a man. That's the first thing he said to a mate. Like, and then he and I were just super close the whole way. When we yeah. went out to rehab, so you go from the yeah. acute spinal ward to the rehab. And he's got the bed next to him saved for me. He's like, right, you either do it. And then it was on the whole time, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I just, and that made it for me. I had Navy mates constantly coming to see me. Yeah. Another sad story. So good mate of mine, Wes Hoff, made a video. He went around everybody on the ship while they sailed from Sydney to Darwin. And he's like, hey, so my nickname, as I said, my last name being Brumby was Horse in Defence. Yeah. So everybody's, hey, Horse, hope you're doing well. Good luck. Hope you get a good recovery and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody, the captain. And so Wes made this video. And so he basically walked around everybody on the ship. And then they get to Darwin. The three of the boys had a car accident and he passed away. So yeah. I'm in hospital still. And I'm like, hang on a second. Wes has just passed away. I'm still here. There's these kids. There's Andy. Hang on, man. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah. Let's go. What are we doing? And then that just went from there. Um, first got out of hospital, moved to Ballina and going surfing with the boys again. That was the whole idea. Yeah. Really good mate of mine, Ryan Haley. He lives here on the coast now. Cool surfer from Tassie. He's like, right, living in Byron with his brother. I moved there on a cool little hill. Yeah. Just one step so I could half made the place accessible. And we'd go surfing again. Boys would take me out. And then end up moving to a, ran into a random guy who was friends with a lady I knew who owned a farm in a wheelchair. He's like, come and work on the farm for a while. And I was like, oh, that could be cool. And then Peter took me in, took me under his wing. He was a fair few years older than I was, been a chair for a while. His wife left him, raised two daughters on his own, you know, like with his mum and his sister's help. But, you know, 18 months old and four, I think, Miriam and Sonia were. And, and I've just been fortunate that I've met these people that have just been amazing. Yeah. You, know, you watch this guy, he's a single dad in a wheelchair, raising two daughters that were amazing. And he's running this farm all on his own. And then he's like, right, I'm buying a new property out west in New South Wales, buying a bigger one. You want to come out there? And I'm like, hell yeah, this is awesome. So I'm working on an excavator and tractors and like everything's accessible. He puts hand controls on the tractor and the, the quad bikes and, you know. Anything can be done. Oh, and then I'm out. I'm just loving it. And then he bought a bigger farm. How old were you then? So I would have been accident at 22. Yeah, about 23 going on 24. So you've come straight out of this. And like you said, surrounded by amazing people and that. Yeah. Was there any days sitting in there going, fuck, you know what I mean? Battling that little man in your head. For you, it sounded like you got to work straight away. You were very yeah. happy with seeing those people around you who had less and you made a choice. And we were speaking about this right at the beginning it was the power of choice. Yep. So that happened for you immediately. Yep. And that was at the time was subconscious. It wasn't until later on when things started to go wrong in a sense that I'd realized that sometimes that choice was made subconsciously. Other times you've got to make it yourself. Okay. And the support network. Yes. The defense guys are coming in all the time. Captain's wife and his beautiful daughter would come and visit me and they were amazing. We're all still friends today. Yeah. And my mum, the most amazing woman on the planet, mate. And then like, I started riding dirt bikes again. I was yep. the first guy in the world to hit a freestyle ramp and land a dirt. People have been doing it to we're trying to do it with Pastrana and foam pits. Ah, let's do it, boys. We built a freestyle route. Never hit it in one in my life. Let's go. Let's hit it. So we got videos of that. And we just, so I wanted to do cool stuff. And then I'm like, right, what else can we do? So Pete had a rally car that he'd raced and a uh, cool V8 that he'd built. He was racing rally events on. And so we'd be banging around the farm with that. And then we had farm equipment. So we built a motocross track and 
And then we had like, just had toys and then started working for another guy who I met one random day. He's like, oh, you need to meet Andy. He's a truck driver in our chair. I'm like, what? Yeah, he delivers swimming pools. Uh, and he's coming through Wellington. You should drive out and meet him. I'll meet the guy. Yeah, and see what's happening. Instant, instant click. He loved motorbikes, wanted to get back on a motorbike. I'm like, well, I've got a motorbike and you're welcome to ride it. And he's yeah. Like, I'm going to teach you to drive a truck. So I ended up getting my HC license through Andy, started delivering swimming pools on the side of, you know, like I was renovating a house in Wellington, New South Wales, bought this little house and Pete's lending me equipment because I'm working on the farm. And then we'd go and do stuff to the house. And, and he's like, yeah, look, go and work for Andy for a bit. And so we're delivering pools from Sydney to Perth and Sydney to here. And, and I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't really think I want to deliver all the time because I sit down all day, every day, yeah. being in a truck, just going to be sitting around. So what could I do? And he's like, well, we kind of need a, a new agent in Melbourne. Maybe you want to start selling pools. And I was like, yeah, that's never gone back. Yeah. So from that age of 23, when I kind of got out of hospital and I'd worked on the farm with Pete for a couple of years and then we renovated and then another year or two working with Pete and then a, like a year transitioning in Sydney, purely doing deliveries of swimming pools. And trust me, it's amazing. You rock up with someone's swimming pool. They're super They're happy. the happiest humans in the world, aren't they? And then you throw this aluminium plank down, bang, and they're like, what? And then you throw a wheelchair out onto it. They're like, wait a second. And then you climb into it. You're like, just give me a second. And then the lift goes down to the ground. You roll around. You're like, I'll just unload your pool. Like, Do you need a hand? I've no. Got this. Unload the crane, hook it up to the pool. Mate, you should, where, where do you want it? Wish GoPro was around back then. You could have had that much footage of just people's faces just going, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> And then, so I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll start selling. So I moved to Melbourne, ran to a random dude who I'd met somehow on the inset, were chatting, wanted to know about riding motorbikes. He had a friend in a wheelchair. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, mate. Next time he comes to Australia, they're American friends. He's like, next time he comes to Australia, bring him to the farm. Yeah. So we still had the farm. I could go there any time. And so mate of mine, name was Dominic, came over from the US. We went out to the farm. We drove, mate, from Sydney to Wellington, New South Wales, about a four and a half hour drive. I'm like, I'll just warm the motorbike up, Dom, then you can jump on for a spin. So I took it up and down, and like bikes warmed up, all sorted, gear changer, all the stuff on it. And then I'm filming and I'm like, hey, Dom, first time back on a bike in how many years? He's like, yeah, I'm back on the bike. Rides off, down around the corner, over a bump, slips, full throttle straight into a tree. Four hours later, helicoptering back to Sydney. And it's like, man, right. Literally, it was 48 seconds, mate, down, around, hit a bump. Full throttle on a WR450 that I had straight, no. straight into a tree. Petrol burns all over him from laying in the petrol. He couldn't want to move him and he's like cracked the bone in his neck. It was just all the way out. Turn around. <laughs> Shopper back home. Yeah, then I'm driving back to Sydney to make sure that I get him in, in hospital. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Matty. Thanks for talking me into that. Yeah. yeah. He was so keen. And then soon I'm moving to Melbourne and staying with a buddy of his. It was a really cool guy, Jimmy. And then from there, it was like, what am I going to do now? And another guy come over and he's like, oh, I raced triathlon. I'm like, you what? You do what? He's like, yeah, yeah. So come for a swim with me. And I'm like, well, I used to be able to swim. Don't know if I can now. So this is around the end of 2009, 2010. So I've been in a wheelchair for nearly you know, nine or 10 years and hadn't really done sport because I tried to do basketball when I was first injured. Yeah. And they were very bad back then. They didn't understand what a team was. And from coming from defense, especially yeah. style, which is a team, I understood how a team works and that's not how it worked. 
and they wanted to push. They're like, oh, you're a high-level para, which means you're a low point in basketball. Come back to Sydney and play. But I'm like, man, I've been in defense. I've been told what to do since I'm 16. Yeah. I felt like I was on a totem pole and my blindfold was taken up. I'm going to choose where I go. And that's not going back to that right now. Then the triathlon thing happened. Then maybe this is going to be an Olympic sport. So I was like, maybe if I get in on the ground level, I can kind of learn. And then my buddy who I was staying with got a new job in Switzerland. And he's like, dude, come over. It's accessible. Like, oh yeah, I'm in. And so I basically did an endless summer for a little while. I went from Melbourne to Switzerland to LA, back to Switzerland. And then that was it. Like I was training like a madman in Switzerland. I was racing. You know, I was doing little bits and kind of got away with stuff because I was already in Europe. So Australia let me race as an Australian athlete because I'm already there. They don't yeah. have to pay anything. Yeah. Uh, and then I started to do all right. Yeah. A little bit of a free ticket for that. Yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, we'll get on the back of this kid. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, wait a second, this guy's kind of doing all right here. Yeah. There was a guy from local Tweet Heads, Bill Chaffee, is five-time world champion. Like, I'm realistic. I'm not going to beat someone like that who's already been in the sport, way different injury levels, but an amazing athlete. Yeah. So you're over there training. Loving Switzerland. One day I'll have to show you the video of the downhill we did. There's a uh, this mad four-and-a-half-minute video of... Yeah, you know, I'm just coming down this, like, so Lake Geneva's on my right. It's just this mad downhill and really, really tight little roads and it's getting dark and I'm just hammering in my, my hand cycle at nearly 80 k's an hour, you know, dodging in and out of traffic. And, and the guy that filmed it was a local bike shop owner and he's riding behind me holding his phone, you know, and then he every now and then he has to like put it down and ride to catch back. Catch up. up. And he starts filming it again. So I was like, I wanted to try and do the YouTube thing. And so I did motorbike videos and. In fact, I didn't have any idea. I just wanted to do cool stuff for people. And then when I started flying planes, you know, I did little videos of, you know, flying the plane and then the dirt bike. And then we had a jet ski and and then the go-karts that Andrew and I got into because Andrew was mad as two-cart snakes. Yeah, is he? Everything. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. Like, what are we getting? So then, yeah, we bought go-karts and jet skis. And then so we'd go, you know, we did a trip to Perth and we took the motorbike, the go-kart, the jet ski. And we're meeting all these people. And then I did a show. I was on a basketball court inside on the WR, mate, doing wheel stands and stop, do a little U-turn. I'm basketball courts are pretty slippery with a dirt bike when you try to do a wheel stand. Yeah, I was going to think. And then you got to put the front end down and not fall over. Yeah, yeah. And then balance as well. You keep me going. So yeah, you were doing, running around doing all that as well. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And then the racing came along and I'm like, I'm kind of enjoying this triathlon thing. It's, it's so new and I want to kind of get into it. Met some really cool people, Richard Coleman, you know, dual Paralympic medalist. And he's like, yeah, I'll teach you how to push a race chair. So the race chair for us is you've got to be fit, but it's technique. You know, you can be the fittest, strongest guy in the world. And then if you don't know how to push it, you ain't going anywhere. And a perfect example of this is there's a guy named Jets Platz. He's a Dutch guy. So I did 11 hours, 53 in Hawaii. He broke the record and did 8.26. Well, yeah. He was like 20-something overall out of every athlete. But and this guy is a beast. So the very first time I ever met him was in London. We raced a triathlon. And Bill Chaffee, the Australian, had never lost a race. I'm hearing that Bill's three and a half minutes behind going into the run leg. So the run leg's five kilometers. And if you're good back then, you could do it in around 14 or 15 minutes. And so Bill was pretty good. He could normally sometimes do a high 13 on the day. and so. Beast, absolute beast. He's three and a half minutes in front of the current five-time world champion, or four times then. Yep. And then Bill caught and passed him and beat him by eight seconds on that race. Wow. And it's not because Yetz 
wasn't strong or a beast. It was pure technique. When you learn that technique, you can relax and you go a lot faster. Yes. Um, and so now Yetz is this. That's it. That's not happening to me again. Yeah, never again. He's never been beaten since. And like I said, then he went on to do Hawaii after doing sprint distance. And, and just smoking it. Uh, eight out. Top. Right. But what about that? That is an epitome in something's life. That would have been a turning point in him losing by eight seconds. I guarantee you, in his head, he went never again. Never again. And that drove him. Now, if he won by two seconds, do you think he would have been as good getting that technique? Or do you reckon that win would have not as driven him or made him? We don't know, obviously. He's definitely a highly, highly driven athlete. He probably would have got there. But, mate, if I lose, I say it all the time. If I'm going out, I'm going out at the tail end of the field. If I set a goal for myself and I miss it by two seconds, filthy. Yeah. Absolutely filthy. You know, so that. They're the hardest beats in my life. I've thrown an intercept pass on the hooter to lose the Premier Cup in the middle of the year. That still rings. And I was only 18 then. That still rings with me today. I still have nightmares about it and my terrors. So just missing by an inch would drive me crazy. And I think you pull budget. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the opposite. So I hadn't played AFL since year six. Yeah. When I was at Albatross, they had an AFL team. So I'm like, I'm playing footy again. And six feet and a half, 52 kilos to join the Navy at. I was tiny. Yeah. You know? So I started to grow a little bit, started playing footy, still little, playing with the men, like a country league type thing. And yeah, once kicked the last two goals in the last minute and a half, we won the game. We won the final, not because of me, but, and then we won Father Matt Cup, which was like all defense teams play. Yeah. We just, like, it was amazing. He had this great year. So you're getting chaired off. Oh, mate, I'm hearing you. I was yeah. in the tribunal twice for being picked on. Because I was the littlest fella, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like the brawls after that, mate, were brilliant. You yeah. put on the little guy on the other team, the bench is up. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's how it works. So, but that's, once again, team. They're real teams, mate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, hectic. But yeah, so we've gone, where were we at? Yeah, yeah we're all, so then I went from, went triathlon, started being a thing. I missed out on, on Rio and, you know, racing some cool places, you know, best yeah. song in France and I raced in Italy and I raced in London, Switzerland, Japan. I had a really good, Race in Japan, I broke my frame and fell out of my chair, climbed back in, still got third. And that's what I thought, yeah, like um, there's another guy and I were racing basically for the second spot to go to the Olympics and I'd beaten him three races in a row. We had a stupid little time trial we had to do and I was sick and broken wheels and he beat me in the time trial, which was swim at a pool, drive, ride and run. Anyway, it still hurts. And then, so he got to go to an event that I didn't and got points that I didn't. So he was ranked inside the top 10. The guy's awesome. We get along so well. It was, yeah. never, it was never his fault. No. And the problem was we're always pinched together instead of work together. It was a head on head. That doesn't make people go faster. If we work together, like you're a brilliant swimmer, mate. You really are. He still swims amazingly. You know, he did really well in Rio. I'm not sure if he's going to Tokyo. I'll find out in the next couple of days, but swims amazing. Well, I could ride pretty well and I could run very well in comparison to people. So we should have worked together. And then there was a time where I went to the AIS. I paid for myself, mate. I'm like, right, I'm going. This is what I need to do. So I paid for about five weeks, I think, to live at the AIS. Met some amazing people there, man. Steve Solomon, the guy who's going to be the flag bearer for the Australians at the Olympics. I've still got one of his T-shirts that I've got. And when we were there, we started to figure it out. It's like, hang on a second. We'll both go faster if we work. Together. together we don't have to be against each other mate. yeah like help me swim faster i'll help you run faster and then we'll both be better athletes that's yeah. what we want bill's not going to be around forever yeah but you and i can be around for a lot longer and then i lost the plot after not making the olympics for rio just 
I said, sat at home for a year playing PlayStation, hitting the weed every day. I just sat there, mate, and just, I didn't know where I was at. I was lost, financially broke, physically broke, mentally, I was slowly starting to crack. Like I was, in a way, I was happy just to sit and do nothing for a while because nothing was clicking. Put all this effort into being a diver, failed. Being all this effort into going to the Olympics, failed. And it's, but it's not a failure. They're no. lessons and they're, what do you need to do from that to grow? Don't think of everything as a loss. That's think right. Of it as a, okay, that's a learning thing. Very hard to see when it's not, when it doesn't happen. It's very, very at the time, isn't it? Yeah. You can't see that hindsight. They speak about it now, but now looking back on it, you're like, help me to get here. But at the time when it's happening, and I speak about this from losing my company after the GFC, after everything I've earned and working my whole life, not through lack of effort, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks, everything I earned out of rugby league as well to have it all taken off me by someone else who's doing the wrong thing. Doesn't sit very well for you, but looking back on it now, I wouldn't be where I am now with my mental fortitude and, and my attitude without that happening to me more than once, mind you, as well. So the building industry, it's fucking terrible. But yeah, that you can't see it when it's happening to you, when you want it so much, you know what I mean? Like in that Olympic sport, so sitting at home, just doing that. And you search, like you said, you're sitting there, you got it inside you and you know what you got inside you, but you're just going, well, how did I get in this spot in my life? I'm too smart to be here. Yeah. Or, or what am I doing here? And then, but it doesn't, it's just a vicious cycle. And that's what my company is about, is about showing people who well, I was stuck in there and I was stuck in myself and you speaking about that hole as well. And a lot of my friends and family are, are finding it and I find it in middle-aged men. So how old were you when, when this happened, when you missed out? So what have I been, what? 2016. Six years ago. So 35, we're, 35. that's what I mean. We're talking about that. You're out of your teenage, you're meant to be an adult. You're meant to be at a certain place in your life. You look at it. I had to hit reset again at 31. I was borrowing 20 bucks off dad. I was living rent free. You're saying you're at home. That age group, I think it resonates with us because there's a lot of pressure or not even pressure. I think pressure within yourself to go, what, wait, what, why am I, how am I sitting on my ass here after I've done all that? Shouldn't there be a fucking golden pot of gold at the end of it yeah, for me? 100%. And when it's not, you got two options. Like you said, the power of choice. And sometimes it takes you a year or two years to make that other option, to choose that other option. For me, it took me two or three years to go. There was actually a day that I said to my missus, I said, fuck it, I'm done. I'm happy. I'm happy drinking piss. I seen the look on her face and it, she probably doesn't remember it or anything like that, but I remember saying those words and that was like me giving up that day because I just had enough of just trying and getting fucking shit on or broken or not being what I was or I was let the little man in my head beat me. I remember those words that day. I didn't make a change that day, but I remember them. I remember them ringing true in my head and I'll never forget them. So what are you doing? You're sitting at home. Do you know how quiet that little man is when you win? And when you, you continue to win, he, he doesn't say he doesn't have does shit to say. Every day when you're trying to battle back, there was a consistent battle. I speak about it a lot on my social medias, especially going through the journey and whatnot. I spoke about it, like little man didn't want to go today, but we got 10k out, or little man wanted to give up at 5k, or when I was even further, like, well, I got 100 meters. And once people realize that you can talk about this stuff, and they yeah. jump on board, and they're like, oh yeah, and they speak to you about it openly, and you're like, see. You can beat him, but the more you shut him up, he has no voice. But the one thing that I do know is he's ready to creep back in Always. as soon as you take your foot off the throat or yeah. something like that. He's ready to go, hey, I've been sleeping, but I'm awake now. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, he's ready. The biggest thing about it, and I write 
I don't have them up here. They're going to go on the wall up here along with photos of everyone evident. But I write all my quotes. I love making quotes and stuff. I've got some on the board there that you've read. One of them is about the little man and it's just, he knows your deepest, darkest secrets and he's like a thief in the night. He is ready to steal your dreams and your ambitions. What are you going to do about it? Because he doesn't go, he's with you until you die. Exactly right. Again, it's a choice. Do you Mm. listen to him or do you you make your own? That's right. Like I said, it was a year. It was a solid year. And I only left the house for three reasons. Like not many people know, but I don't mind. We're we're chatting about it. We're here to help people. And I left the house for three reasons. Food, weed, and see my mum. My mum is the most important woman on the planet. And I would always go and visit my mum. So I lived in the town over from where she was. And people were like, why didn't you move home? I'm like, dude, my mum is so good. Like, I'd never do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, I still need to be independent. I haven't lived at home since I was 16. Like, yeah. Here. So, and then the Invictus Games came around. Yeah. You know, like I can't say enough of how important that was for that change. And then the very first camp I went to, I was like, oh man, look at all these people. Like everybody's dealing with something. Why am I upset? And then Neil again, I remember having a chat to him, but I don't remember, but I told him the truth. I said to him straight off the bat, this is what I've been doing for the last year, but I'm here and I'm committed. I'll give you everything I've got every time I see you. Yeah. And from that, I just get getting better, better than the old, that little fella started being a bit quieter. And then, and then I started overruling him and I'm like, no, we're going, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. And then becoming the captain and then having all these drive and then, We'd never won a gold medal as a team sport at any Invictus Games. I was a part of the rugby team and they did a really good documentary called The Wheeling Diggers. It documents our journey from the very first selection camps to the grand final when, when we won. Yeah. And we beat UK, which was undefeated up until then. That journey alone, we were a broken team until the final. There was internal little squabbles with the boys and then, you know, we're trying to keep it all sorted and we've got to get, but on that day, on that final, boys, finally put it all together, put everything aside, and we're here to win. Timing, we're going to do it. And it's a great documentary. It brings tears. There's some great people in it. Where can you watch this? I think you can only find it on YouTube now. Yep. It used to be on ABC iView. Yeah. Because ABC were the ones that covered yep. the games. And then, yeah, I won four gold medals in, in the track. I got spanked in the bike on the hand cycle. It's hilarious. The American and the Europeans was, the Americans in a whole nother level compared to all of us, but the two Europeans and I, they just beat me in the time trial and the crit, but it was a great experience. Probably thought I would have done a little bit better, but I didn't mind. They were better on the day, better athletes. And then it came to the wheelchair racing and I'm like, all right, now we're in a little bit of our own here. Yeah. And then I know how to do this. All right, let's go. And it was great. You know, your home games and I met Harry and I had my service dog Willow from Integra and they're a whole nother level of awesome people that supplied because you couldn't bring dogs to the games. So they supplied 12 dogs. So all the athletes from 18 different nations could go to a quiet area and be with a dog. I was very fortunate. The boys really looked after me. I got Willow. I've had her since then, you know, two and a half years now. Sitting right behind us. And down there, being yeah. a good dog as she is. And she's helped a lot too. You know, like when you feel a bit lonely or you feel like something's going on, just call her over mm. and she'll give me. She, they're dogs, dogs don't judge. They just want to be a part of it. No, that's and, right. And there's nothing better than having an animal. Yeah. Which helps heaps, but. After the games, Neil's like, what are we doing? Let's do Hawaii. Man, what? Iron Man? Neil, you realize we're doing it. Okay, I'm in. And then off we went. And then, yeah, I was like, right. No one's ever done half Ironman and the full Ironman World Championships in the same year because you've got to qualify at two different events to do it. But being the current world champion, I get an automatic qualification slot for Hawaii. 
So all I had to do was qualify at one other event. Mm. So I'm like, right, I'm going to Texas. Then I've kind of done the three. There's only three events worldwide to qualify for a hand cycle athlete. I'm like, I do Texas, then I've done all three and I've done Hawaii and I've done worlds. I'm like, cool. And kind of say I've done it all. So that was the plan. I'm moving from Tassie to Adelaide, be a part of the Invictus Pathway program, which is an amazing on the back of the games was created. And then Veteran Sport Australia was sort of supportive. They're like, hey, we're getting veterans back into the sporting community. What can we do to help you? What could do with some funding? And then Legacy came on board and there's all these amazing things that everyone came out of the woodwork. Yeah. Let's get in there. Let's get this done. And then it's just sadly, like, so February of 2020, I got to do a really cool defense ski trip to Whistler in Canada. And I'm like, well, sweet. I've never been to the snow since I've been in a chair. I used to love it when I was an able-bod and all right, let's do it. Had an amazing time. Got to do some really cool stuff. Came back and literally a week later, the world shut down. Oh, with COVID. And then I was like, all right, so keep training, keep focused, keep training, train, focus. What? There's no racing. What are we and doing? Then the little man's back. He's back so fast. Yeah. All right. What are you doing that for? Well, you haven't eaten today. No, you haven't eaten for two days. Where are you going to train? going to go out and go hard? You go and train. That was weak. What do you need to do? What are you gonna... And then you're like, right. So you, you just, you try to get that focus to keep. But the little man's there and he's, why? Yeah. Why? 100%. Why? Is this your ego? What are you trying to do? You're trying to look, you're look yeah. good in the mirror? Why? Are you even going to be able to do it now? Yeah. Yep. training. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, look, you're behind. There's no point in going further anymore. You're behind. You're already behind. Just yeah, give up now. Yeah. So you haven't got enough time. You haven't got this. You haven't yeah. got this. You haven't done that. You haven't done it. You haven't, food's not right. Blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's when COVID happened. Hawaii's not happening. You're not going there. You're not doing the double. Yep. You're not doing anything. We're not doing the marathon. What are we doing? Where are we going? That was the hardest part. And I, yep. again, it was only a few months ago, a conscious choice. I'm not racing anymore. That was the initial weight lifted. Yeah. Because now I'm not sitting on the fence in my own brain going, you should be training. You didn't train. You did train. You didn't train hard enough. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you not getting out of bed? I oh, need on this. Then you're playing PlayStation again. Then you're in a hole. Now you're supposed to be going to basketball. Now you're supposed to be doing this. Now you're doing excuses. And it just becomes this mm-hmm. because you're doing it for everybody else. Stop. That's right. What do you want to do? And I think, I think you said one word in there before, before you jump in there is the excuses is you start telling lies to people who you think will be disappointed in what your decision is. And you're making that up in your head going, oh, I can't go because of this. And then you're projecting what you think they're going to think. And how do you, do you know? You got no idea. You know, nine times out of ten, they don't give a fuck. At the same time, they're just like, you're coming? No, you're not coming. It's, you're battling yourself. So that decision. Mate, you're exactly right. It was excuses. And then, and I've always said to Pete, my mate, Peter, that if you do an Ironman, mate, I'll come and help you. So after his helicopter crash, he can't run properly. He can, you know, can walk and do all this stuff. There's no way he's running a marathon. So I'm like, maybe we can put you in a racing wheelchair. You know, you use a, a recumbent bike that he pedals with his legs and then, so he competed the Invictus Games and won medals and he was very good at it. And I'm like, so we keep you in a race chair where we can get this done. And all right, no way, yeah. he's not going to do it. So he rings me up. Yeah, yeah, Legacy's got me sorted and Defence has helped me to get a race chair so I can do more sport and athletics. So DBA are amazing. As much as I've had issues with them, they are amazing. So many soldiers and airmen and sailors would be nowhere without. They are amazing. So don't get me wrong on the fact that I haven't had a good experience with them. They are. And so they've helped, you know, he's back now being able to do an Ironman that he was never going to be able to do without their help. Means I've got to come off. You said yes. Right, so I said, yeah. Right, he's mate. called you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, all right, buddy, I'll do the Gold Coast Marathon and I'll hang around for a month, maybe longer, and we'll get you in a race chair. We'll get you sorted. We'll get you pushing it, teach you technique, and we'll train together. Here we are a couple of weeks into that. He's got his race chair. 
sadly, the, you know, the Gold Coast Marathon was, was cancelled, but here we are. And then now I'm like, I'm feeling, because I had a good chat with Pete, we're very close, and I said, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to. He goes, have you paid for Brussels yet? No. And, you know, mind you, Ironman has, you know, $2,500 my money for two events that I can't do. Yeah. And I couldn't go to, to Texas in June because we can't travel there, so there's that event money gone. I'm still trying to get them to let me push away back to next year, just in case the bug comes again. Yeah. And Pete, amazing, again, just said, whatever we're going to do to get your mojo back, what is it? Yeah. And I said, no long distance stuff. Let me start with the shorter stuff again. Let me blow myself out on these short little ones, get a bit of power, get a bit of speed back. Then we'll start working on it. Point zero. Yeah. I speak about this and I spoke about this back when we were just having lunch before is about setting that point zero, not chasing your former self. Now, if, if you've got a marker of how good you've been and with someone like yourself winning world championships and dominating Hawaii and getting a win there, your marker is up here. All right, now, if you've had time off and that and you come back to one training session and you realize how far you are from point A to point B, oh, it's a long and it, it's a long way, it is long, but then you go hard at it for eight weeks and you still only end up here. You're still, you know, 75% off being your best. You start questioning yourself going, am I ever going to get there? How am I going to get there? How am I going to get back? And you might not ever get back there. The way I see it is it doesn't matter. And I look at this for all sports, for rugby league, after you win a grand final, how do you win another one is you forget about that grand final. It doesn't matter about what you've done. It's what I can do next. And setting that point zero right at the middle and going, all right, I just need to be better than that day before. Yeah. And like you said, growing, you've already said it to get your mojo back. You're disappointed with yourself. Like, I didn't train. I didn't eat. I didn't like that. You just need to get that first session and that first short, sharp session. That's day one. This is my formula, one, one, two, three. And that's all that matters. And I repeat that over and over, whether it's days, weeks, months. So it means I get the first day done and then my only goal is to get the next day done. And then I set a two-day goal. And you were speaking about moving the goalpost along in your rides and then a little bit further. And then my last goal is three days to get me to Sunday. And then I go again, I make it short. I make one, one. Two days, three days. And then I transfer that into weeks, one week, two week. And then I set, get to week four, get to week seven. By week eight, I'll be back. I'll be where I want to be. And it's all about hitting that point zero. It's consistent. And I've made a comeback. I've been, not even a comeback. I've made a, let's not call it a comeback. I've had to deal with this about too many times to count within business, within sport, within not getting selected in teams within making stupid decisions with my ADHD. You know, I don't have a stop, think, do. I do think shit, basically. <laughs> That's how it works. You know what I mean? Do you do it? You think about it. You go, oh, the fuck, what have I done? Like, and reap the consequences of that. So I've been on this journey that's just this up and down and, and a battle with my weight and all that as well. You know, when I'm bad, I'm bad. I blow out. And now that I've found after the, you know, returning back to, who I want to be and not listening to anyone, blocking out all the noise, I'm pretty much set in stone where I'm going to be now. But the point of the story is it's just that consistent battle and that back and forth. I've always now learned that it just needs to be point zero. If I'm ever lost, ever, like even if I've got a huge day at work or this, I just go back to, all right, let's just get this done and then we'll improve on this podcast tomorrow. I went from $15 Kmart speakers here so now we've got this and a nice mic and a that. We went from, ask Lukey Bashara, he's my uh, natural bodybuilding mate. I set up two chairs in the corner there 
and they didn't have lights, didn't have anything. <laughs> we're still doing the Renos. There was shit everywhere. And he's looking at me going, we're doing it here. I said, we're doing it here. Evolution. You know what I mean? But that point zero and that stepping forward, and I find it just reinvigorates yourself again. If you consistently chase and what you have been and what you have got or what I did have, you know, I had new cars, new this, bells and whistles and all that shit. I concentrate on that stuff. I just pissed off at myself or angry at myself, but not about what we have. I believe that our life is continuing and it's continuing forward. And I stress out now because I think I've lost days. I said, how much more shit can I squeeze in every day? And I think by hitting point zero is, is definitely one of those days. And I think that'll help you finding your mojo again, especially with being someone, like I said, of your caliber, of what you've achieved. And I've spoken to my mates about this. Guys have played for Australia, guys who are top line jockeys have won million dollar races and that how do you replicate that feeling or you know how do you replicate that state of origin win and they're retired now and they're in our age bracket and our age group and i'm like that's awesome it's fucking awesome what you've got hanging on your wall but that's not your lot your life is still happening it's still ahead of you what else do you want to do and it could have been easy as one of the boys rang up he goes i can't break five and a half minutes running and it was as simple as all right you're setting your goals too far don't listen to the one kilometer thing and go, oh, I didn't make it. I said, just turn that little voice that you get on your running apps or whatever you get, put it down to every 250 meters and that'll hold you accountable what your speed is and shrink your leg. Next minute, two weeks later, I beat five minutes 30. How good? You know, and this is a guy who's played for Australia in rugby league, you know, and I just, just said, mate, that's great. You got to get back to doing what you yeah. need to be doing and get moving forward. When we've been chatting today, this whole zero thing is amazing. It, to me, it, when you said it, it was like, wait, hang on a sec. Because everything you do from there is a positive. It's a positive. And then, okay, well, here's the new zero. And That's then even right. if you have a little bit of a bad time or something goes on or whatever, life is going to kick you sometimes. It's still zero. It's not negative anymore. It's not negative. That's zero. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then now you've said one, one, two, three, how I can put that into my training moving forward, maybe going to Bustleton, maybe not. Got some really good mates doing it. Pete's doing it. And I'm like, I mean, I'd like to, in the back of my head, I'd love to do it again. And I'd yeah. love to go out there and race with the boys. If I don't have the mojo, that's right. It ain't going to happen. But it's just that first day. That's all we need to bite off. We just bite off the cherry on the first day. And then you might not want to go the second day, but just, let's, let's just bite it that day. And yeah. I guarantee you by thing, you'll be looking at it going, progress. This is fucking progress. I'm not chasing me tail. I'm not chasing me ass. I'm not, why aren't I here? Why aren't I there? It's, uh, and that's everything with this company as well. Like, um, Everything will grow from here. I mean, my website, it's poured as much as heart and soul into it as I can, but I've only, same thing, poured as much finance as I can into it. You know, as it grows and as we develop, I'm developing a, um, actually, you might really like this. It's a pre-race or a pre-game, sort of like a pre-training daily drink. So at the moment, my, we we're talking about vitamins and minerals and eating livers. And I get up in the morning, I have fish oils, I have this, I have that island, I have blah, 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 like 12 things to get me going and out the door. Now. I'm trying to combine that into one little sprinkle, sprinkle, and that'll be all your pre-workouts and that are so jittery, like, oh, I'm going to get going, you know, caffeine, yeah, caffeine, high yeah, added, yeah. 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 With it's our sort of, no, it does not. I'll tell you what right thing. Now, with our sort of sports that we're into now, especially yourself, we're trying to get that NO, you know, that nitric oxide and that blood level and keep your heart or your wattage, like you said, down. Yeah. Now, if we can get that blood flow and wattage going smoother, and, you know, really talk about getting, you know, oxygen flow and all that and keeping that down. You can go faster for longer, longer. and harder. And there's yep. nothing out there like that. So where it's actually at the compound chemist now, that would be sure be good. But that's once again, 
1123, 1147. Last week, I decided to write the formula down. This week, it's in getting formulated. Next week, I've already sourced someone to do the next stage. And then I'll allow two weeks for that to happen. And then I'll set myself a goal for the, by three weeks, I want the formula. I want to own it. I want to be there. On that. And I'll look back and then I'll be going, how the hell has a bum washed up rugby league player, a renderer who has lost his company four times, talking this, showing you that I've just developed a drink that could change sporting history. You know what I mean? And I'm by nowhere in the means the smartest man in the world, but um, I'll fight. I'll fight for it and I'll fight to die for it. So, so one of the guys I was in Invictus Games with has a saying and he has like a little like a little company and a little thing that he does and it's broken, never beaten. And that's, yes. you, to, that's you to a teammate. Like, yeah. How many times have you been broken by the companies, the footy, the yeah. all these things? I'm not beaten yet. But and that and little man's there. He's yeah. Been, and that's fight. just yeah. going to keep. The other part of it we haven't really touched on in a way is that, that mental health. It's a tough one, mate. And you've got to have that fortitude to have done what you've done. Everyone's going to have bad days. Everyone's going to yeah. have bad moments. Where does my choice come from what you're going to do? And there's heaps of stuff out there that people can do. And one of the problems with defense is that, you know, we've had so many suicides from people in yeah. war than more than what we've actually lost. And it's funny because during the Invictus Games, I met a guy, Mike, and he started an app called, that's why I'm wearing the red six. Most yeah. people think it's red socks, but it's red six. And it's just that he created an app for military personnel that they can get on and chat to people. And it's like, how are you feeling today? And you've got these little colors. And the best thing is they make the choice to download the app. Right, step one. You can even put this into your formula. One, you've done it. Okay, then the next one is you talk to someone. And then the two is that. Well, you uh, read something that someone's. That's yeah. Not, and then they feel, okay, now I'll put an import in and get something back. I speak about mental health all the time. And what I speak about the one opportunity that you get, it might take someone, well, let's not put a time frame on it, but let's just say it takes someone six months to download that app. Now you've got that one opportunity or someone, one of your mates reaches out to you. Now I'm good because I'm good with words and I understand a lot of mental health stuff, you know, with ADHD and whatnot, I understand dopamine and a lot of stuff within the brain purely through having to learn it through all my fuck ups. But some people reach out to you and it's taken them six months to get there, to reach out to you. Now, if you fuck up that opportunity that they're trying to do, they're going back, they're back to point zero. It's going to take them another six months to get there. And same with if they reach out to a mate who's not equipped to uh, handle it or they don't know, they're like, they clam up themselves. You know what I mean? They don't know, what do I do here? I don't know how to react on it. Opportunity gone, wasted, back to square one. And that can be the difference between that. So. Something like Red Six, it's in your own time, I guess, as well. Like you said, putting in those steps and being able to think and defense people. So you're speaking with people about situations that they know about that they've been in. It's not like you're you're coming to me and speaking about the times of war. I've got no idea. You know what I mean? I can't help you. I don't, you know? So I'm all about that. I'm all about presenting that opportunity and our age group as well is very, very hard area. Like I said, that 25 to about yep. 40, 45 now. We're growing up on the back of hard work from our old boys. That's what you do. That's yep. how you do it. You 100%. don't whinge about it. You don't complain about it, which is great. I've got no dramas with that as well, but I've got a little opening for speaking about it, but I've also got a little opening for don't be a bitch, which is, I think, which is the next fucking generation coming through. Let's not go down there. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. To me, and I'll say it out loud, is that they don't understand consequence. That's exactly what it is. They don't have it. No. It's like they do whatever they want to do and there is no consequence. No, that's right. We had it. 
our fathers, they are workers. That yeah. whole generation, they work. That's yeah. what they do. I mean, my man's in his 70s and he still kicks into a drain every now and then. You know, I'm like, Dad, my boy's still rendering. Right, come on, mate. Can't stop him, can you? No, you can't. No. And then you look at our generation. I reckon we're about 70, 30. 70% of us, we workers. There are other 30 of the guys that are on the dole. Yeah. They're never going to change. That's no. them, right? They'll never leave the country. They'll never experience what life really is. Mind you, being on the dole back when you were 16, 17, that was the easiest thing to yeah, do. Yeah, I've never been on it. Yeah. I've always worked or always yeah, right. yeah. defense. But then today, I just feel that there's some great kids out there but there's also a lot that don't understand consequences mm. because we've gone this so soft in society mm. of like, hey, man, like, and look, I understand that people want to do things and, and that's great for you. Yeah. You don't have to push that on, on me. Correct. Like, this is how it is. And, you know, mom, man, you say, oh, I used to do this when I was a kid. And then I've been literally been saying it to kids. I'm like, mate, when I was your, uh, oh, my God, uh, that was uh, the uh, Really? I just. Got it, yeah. Uh, and well, it slipped out like so easily. And I'm yeah, like, I don't know, but I think there's a great opportunity as well for to grab that next generation and show, hey, look, they're screaming. Some kid, I've seen some kids out there at football training, at 18, 9 year olds, or even kids who've jumped onto my stuff and my stories, showing that you can get up and go. And they go, mate, I didn't even know you could do this. I didn't know you could run or train everything. I just thought you had to, this was the pathway. I'm like, no, mate, you can, you can choose that power of choice. You can yeah. go this way. You can go that way. You can make bad decisions. You don't have to drink piss with all your mates and party and post shit on social media, like get your ego boost and your hell, man. You can choose yeah. to go the other way. And I guarantee you, like, I wish I would have started when I was 20. Um, I wish I, hindsight, once again, if I knew this formula, what I do when I was 20, I would have been well on my way. I probably wouldn't have known the formula if I had the formula back yeah, then. So. Yeah. It's a catch, you know, that whole sort of thing. And better late than never. Yeah, but that's it. But yeah, the, just the, the mental health side of things with men, it's a very touchy, very hard thing. And that little man, like you said, will creep back in at any stage. Look, Thanks. we're getting better at it. We're definitely getting better at it. And that's what this podcast is about as well. We've had some great people on here. Jimmy Lapo sharing about he just won the uh, WBL Masters Light Heavyweight Championship and he went, came from just drug abuse yeah. to checking himself into rehab. And then now he's come back and come out of it and whatnot. So that age group, then this is going to be a great opportunity to speak about it and whatnot. Another thing that I want to do, like, oh, mate, I'm having such a ball. I could sit here for another three hours and go with you. I want to know about your training and, and your food wise with someone like you. So what training do you do? Like, how do you go about getting fitter? Basically, like who writes your program? You've, you've said you've worked on swimming, you've been to, you know, the AIS, you do all that, but what's a daily training session for yourself? Well, I guess we'll go back to when I was training for Hawaii. I yeah. Guess, yeah. That'd be good. It's a bit harder. And I, most of that training I did here in Tweed Heads. Well, not here, but in Tweed Heads, just down the road. And so we kind of had a half a plan. So the coach was amazing. He's a good mate of mine from 226 Multisport. So he's a, an Ironman coach. And he just kept adapting things for the wheelchair and my arms because he can't do the bulk of what you do with your legs and your arms when it's just your arms. Because when I finish training, well, I've still got to get around. I've still got to transfer. I've still got to drive. Yeah, I've right. still got to do stuff. I didn't so even think of that. If you cook yourself in a session and then I'm cooked, cooked. Yeah. Right? And so we went, okay, we need to find happy medium. And I found with swimming for a perfect example of had a really hard program of like, I'll oh, do these sprints and do these things and do that. And I'm like, I'm not really getting any faster. And I'm like, yeah, I'm faster over a short distance. But in an Ironman, you're not going to win it in the swim. 
you need to get out of the water going, let's go. I'm warm. I'm ready to ride. Yeah, right. So I found for me what ended up working best after I had a really good chat with Craig Walton, who's an ex-Olympic triathlete. And we grew up in the same town and he works here at Bond University. Amazing. You know, I'm super happy that Craig took the time as well to let me come to a few of his swim squads. And, you know, while he's got a mad thing going with all his crew, he took the time to help me out. And he said, the best advice I could give you is that let's swim bilaterally. So that means breathe on both sides. The more oxygen you're going to get in, the easier your muscles are going to work while you're swimming. Right? So, okay, cool. I said, I can do that. I just haven't really trained for it. So that became one of my main focuses. I ended up just doing my swim sets would be eight, 400 meters. Cause I was like, all right, I'll just, oh, sorry, eight, 500. So it was a 4K swim set. So I knew that I'd do 500 meters reasonably hard. And then I'd put paddles on, which makes you go faster, but it's a lot harder resistance. Okay. So then I'd do 500 of that and 500 normal, 500 of that. And I found that my overall time of the 4Ks was getting faster, even though I could do sets where I'd be doing 10 hundreds on two minutes or something that's about as fast as I could go back then. And then I'd be like, okay, now I'll try and do a 500 at race pace. Well, what is my race pace? What is going to my pace going to be over nearly four kilometer swim? And then I was like, I feel really good getting out of the water after four Ks of doing the eight fives and it worked. And then maybe I do a little session in the afternoon, maybe some stretching. The main two things I did was swim and ride because the ride's going to be the hardest part of the whole thing. 180 kilometers on your arms with, 1800 meters of elevation or whatever it was. And 180, eh? So it's like, and I'm like, right. So we started doing 60K rides, 80K rides, 90K rides. Then it was like, now, okay, now the less, the shortest ride we're going to do is going to be uh, 160, but we're going to go hard for 60Ks, like way harder. Yeah, than right. Yeah. And then we ended up doing, okay, every week we're going to do a 100K ride and then we're going to make that increase by five kilometers every week. So that you're not going to go from 100 to 110. And, and so yeah. then we do 160, one around 80 or 90, and then one at, a, at 100. We worked our way up. So funny enough, mate, the longest ride I'd done before Hawaii was 125 Ks. I'd never even done yeah, anything branched over, out. No, no. But I knew you got it. what I could hold for that. And then even Pete, sometimes he'd do this, that, that little thing we are talking about. And then I realized I just let him go. I don't need to chase him because yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm training. Yeah. And he's helping and he's doing it just to try and drag that little bit of extra. And so during the race in, in Hawaii at the 130k mark, I yelled out loud, Woo-hoo, longest ride ever. At 140, I said the same. Yeah. 150, I said the same thing. At 100, all the way to the finish line of the, all the bike leg part, I said it out loud. I was like, Ooh, that's my new longest. That's my new longest. Let's go. Yeah. And into the run. But coming back to training. So. I didn't use the race chair very much, but a lot of problems with my race chair. The wheels were catching and they could only use one size tire. And I'm like, I need to get this thing work. So we got the frame was recut, re-welded and, and shaped to fit bigger wheels in it. And then I got into it maybe three or four times and I'm like, right, I've got my technique and I'm going to have fitness. And once I get into the chair, I'm going to have over seven hours to get it done. No matter what, I'll get this done. And so I just made sure I had my technique by it. Okay. And over years of pushing, doing the, the sprint triathlon stuff. And, you know, I got to train with some of the best people in the world, mate. Marcel Hood, Richard Coleman, heaps of names. I could go yeah. through them all. But these guys, and everybody is so friendly because I'm not trying to race them. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll give you a hand. You're yeah. just that triathlon guy. Like Kurt Fernley was amazing the first time I met him, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, I can give you a hand. And I've got some old wheels I could probably help you with because yours are pretty bad. And 
when you're talking guys like that, that are famous, basically, because yeah. everyone knows who Kurt is. And I said to him the very first time I ever met him, I'm like, mate, your sporting achievements are amazing, but walking Kokoda on your hands, yeah. you had my respect forever. Yeah. I'm ex-defense. And then, yeah, he's been amazing too. And then all those people that help you get there. And so I was like, okay, cool. Race chair will be fine. I'll get it done. Yeah. I need to focus on the bike. So I yeah. tried to train in the middle of the day when it was the hottest. Really? As hot as it could be. That's when I'm out there. And what food am I going to take on the bike? What See, foods? I'm a little bitch when it comes to that with my 3 a.m. It's fucking nice. I ain't, I ain't getting up at 3 a.m. Yeah. And see, my problem is, why do I get up at 3 a.m. when I've got all day to train? That's another mentality that I need to change. But it, I need to be heat worthy in Hawaii. It's going to be yeah, hot. I understand. It's going to be windy and it's going to be hilly. And the roads at Tweedhead are rough. There's lots of climbing there and it was hot. And even though I didn't do the long stuff, I got my food in. So I had like special gels and I've had... I tried three different things. Then I found that one felt better in my belly. That yeah. one felt okay. Nah, this tastes great and it works well. Throw the others out and that's what I'll train with. And if I'm going to eat every 45 minutes to an hour, then when I'm training, no matter how I feel, I'm eating every five minutes. That's what I'm going to do. Every hour. Yeah. And then so when I got there, I'm used to it. I'm used yeah. to sticking food in every then. I'm used, to, I'm used to drinking. I'm used to pouring water over the back of my head. You know, yeah. I trained the way I wanted to race. Yeah. Sport specific. And food. Because a lot of people don't do that, do they? Yeah. Food was tough. Food was tough. Getting so I, that I, right. I tried, it was macros, I think it was called. Yeah. The foods. I can't. It was like these basically meals like, in, put in. Horrible. Half of them would heat, half of them wouldn't heat. Yeah. And I'd be like, I can't eat that. Yeah. And I tried Hello Fresh, I think it was called. So much wastage, mate. Every meal comes in a packet. You've got to throw half the stuff out. Yeah. It takes you 45 minutes to make the meal. Why wouldn't I just get a the the meal and cook it? Don't get me wrong. When the meals were done, they were great. But That's the right. amount of wastage, the amount of stuff I was throwing out, yeah. everything individually packaged. And everything. Yeah. I'm like, nah. And then so I literally would eat brown rice, salmon, chicken, vegetables. And that's all I had. That's it. It was easy. Yeah. I'd cook it in a couple of minutes. I come home. I'm tired. Yeah. Get my deal with it. Yeah. I've got to do something with Willow. She needs to go for a run. Yeah. I've got to throw the ball. I don't know. Like a dead arm, mate. I'm like, oh, this is horrible. The poor thing. Like, yeah. I'd need quick, easy meals that are nutritious. And then that was what I just got these little cups of brown rice. That's in the microwave. Veggies in the microwave. Bang. Put them together. Bit of meat, salmon. Simplicity. Well, that's the biggest thing with it. Today's thing, everything is processed or it's like you said, there's a million things or you got to have a million things in here. Oh, I've, I base all my diet these days on three ingredients. I'll change them up, but they're three ingredients. I'll go meat, salad, tomatoes, or something like that. I think I told you about 90% animal diet, and it works absolutely sensational for me. But I, I'm a lot of fish, a lot of seafood. It's lighter in my gut. Salmon, love me salmon. Me too. just works. I work much better on it. My body, my inflammation in my body is a lot less. You know, I need a shoulder of reconstruction. Um, I'll hang out for that until, you know, I'm 60 because you only hit one of them and they only last 20 years. But I've been able to manage what I want to do and how I want to do it. I've even been able to, like I said, go back boxing through diet and through inflammation markers and through the diet that I'm on as well. But yeah, people overcrowd it with today's fast food attitude. And there's nothing good about anything you can order out there. As soon as they jet, there's this, ah, there, blah, 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 blah. But I'd imagine for you, like if you, Train, how many days a week were you training? Six. Six days a week. So how- Got to have a rest day. Yeah, obviously, 
because you're all art, that whole, everything you're doing is distance and art. What about, do you get clamped, do you bang neck, everything, shoulders, arms? Yeah. And you're exactly right. Like I didn't realize, didn't research enough, but maybe some of the food I was eating was helping with that. But like you could do, say if I did a 4K swim that morning and then Pete and I went out and did our 60K hard ride that afternoon, I come home and then sometimes trying to transfer, like I've got to transfer to a chair in the shower. Yeah. Trailing you, when you miss that, then it's a whole nother level of putting a bigger effort in to get up off the ground and, oh, did I just damage my skin? Because your skin is everything in a wheelchair. You know? Yeah. If you take skin off or you damage it, it's, that's it. Like it could turn into a pressure sore. It turns into oh, yeah, you know, wow. all, all these things. Yeah. There's a guy training with us up here now who is a Paralympic wheelchair racer. You know, he won a medal in London and he got a, a mark on his skin. Poor bugger didn't look after it properly. He lost a leg. So he's only in a wheelchair. He now is an amputee in a wheelchair and it's changed his whole, like he was eight years old or so, six years old when he got trans, that's my life, I think it's called. And so paralyzed. So he's kind of, you know, he's grew up with it. He's fine. Next yeah. thing you know, you take that leg off, balance changes. It's pushing his chairs different. Like it's a whole new level of wow. disability for him. You know, people, like, people don't think about that either, mate. It doesn't cross your mind at all. Muscles, everything changes your whole structure and you got to retrain all over again. So yeah, man, yeah, I can't even imagine what your arms are feeling like after trying to train for Hawaii. So, so tough. Yeah. yeah. The solid though, they'd be out that here, were, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 Oh, they were big. It's funny. Sometimes I put like a training shirt on that I used to like train in. Yeah. And it's kind of like floppy. And you're like, wait, so my arms used to fit in there. Mate. And now I'm so glad we met because now this is my new zero. So yeah. Right here, right now. Is my new zero. Unbelievable. And then I'll move on from this. Whether I get back to racing again or I just want to do it for health and mental fitness. Yep. Is because that's what it is. Yeah, you know, that's exactly um, right. Prince Harry said at the Victor's Games, it's mental health is a fitness. Yeah. train the rest of your body while you're training your brain. And exactly right. Wherever I go from here will be a positive. That's right. Like, and if I don't, well, then that could be my new zero. That's exactly right. There's no, people have got a problem with being an amateur again. Now, people have got a problem with, getting out of their lane like i don't understand it i don't yeah it's a risk of, of being embarrassed once again you're not racing anyone people don't care out there you know what i mean the ones closest to you care but they care about you they don't care about your performance so hit reset people go yeah, again go, to the man. Yeah, look, mate, it could be your job could be anything except for the boys that work for me please don't leave me you're all what you're all my most valued employees. I can't do what I do without them, of course, obviously. Yeah. Um, but all my boys are great at their job and they love their job as well. Yeah, I couldn't so, have done Hawaii without beating you. That's right. That's the team it. is just yeah. it's it's sensational. Good. Don't be afraid to hit reset. I mean, we got so much more living to be doing. People watch my social media or notice it sometimes, you know, they'll one week they'll watch it, next week they won't sit, but they'll come back three weeks later and you know what? I'll be doing the same thing. It'll be exactly the same yeah. post that I did on Monday last week. It'll be me scanning in to go to the gym. Shit doesn't change, all right? It's just might change in my head that, all right, I'm not where I want to be. I've got to go back to square one. But I just go back to square one and it's just repeat, repeat. And, it, mate, biggest thing I've ever heard, one of the best sayings is pay your ticket and get on the bus. You might go to a, you know, the job might pay you $10. It costs you $7 in a bus fare to get there to earn $3. But, you know, just pay your ticket, get on the bus. After time of repetition of repetition, you end up owning the bus. That $3 accumulates yeah. and you're good. 
You know what I mean? But if you don't pay your ticket, you don't get on the bus, you don't go nowhere. And if you don't get on the bus, you don't see other opportunity. That's exactly right. And you don't know where we're, where we're going to go, mate. Look at us. Look at us. This is a prime example of sitting here right now. I'm pumped. I nearly want to go out and run a million laps <laughs> around the block after speaking to you. you know, that's just yeah. me, like the emotional journey that we've gone on and getting to know each other. But um, without losing everything and getting here and then, well, there's another story within here as well with COVID. Just before COVID hit and I was going through my battles of being huge and whatnot, but I had a, um, a travel surf company that I'd poured four years and all this money into, neverneverland.team. And it was all about going to the majestic places outside of fucking Cooter, going to all the islands that you're meant to be doing and surfing there and, and hanging out with the locals. And just as we we're about to leave, COVID hit. Everything that I put into this, it's still sitting there. I can still open it any time, but you can't have a surf travel company with you can't travel when you can't travel. Can't have anything. So mate, once we'll again, first squad's coming, mate. We'll get a bodyboard, mate. Let's we'll go. Water. Take you straight to Noosa Lombongan. The boys will love you. I'll yeah. tell you what. I'll get you some tubes over there that you'll be lacerations. They call it, so don't come off. Yeah, it just picks up. It comes out, but it shoots straight into like a bay in the side, and there's just they got pontoons there, and you just sit or stand or swim on the pontoons and. Boys actually get spit out and nearly touch pontoons and they paddle back out. It's right. unreal. I'll tell so. you one quick one before we go there. Yeah. Serving story. I was in the Navy, went to New Zealand, had a really good mate of mine. was a Kiwi diver and they're tough as nails, mate. But so I'm on, on an Australian ship. He's there. We're catching up and he's like, we're going surfing. I'm like, oh, I don't have my board, mate. I don't, I don't actually why I didn't have it on the ship. He's like, it's all right. I got one for you. So we go to the base. We pick up his board. We grab another spare board and we're on our way to, North Piha. So it's this amazing black sand, big keyhole. You paddle through the keyhole, you go out. Lungy, his name was. So we're driving along. We pull up in the middle of this street and he goes, Hey, sir, can we borrow your surfboard? No. And it's like the captain of the ship. And he looks at him and he goes, It looks like you've already got it. And I'm seeing the car going, It's the <laughs> captain's <laughs> board. He's like, Yeah, yeah, you can take it. Thank you. So like, off we went, mate. And then. Yeah, surfing at PR was, you know, you've seen that black sand and, and stuff, but it's just, that's the surfing community. That's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. take my board, mate. Like, yeah. off you go. <laughs> All right. This thing's having a wee out. Let's wrap it up, mate. I'm absolutely thank you, thank stoked. You. Matty it. Brumby, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. How good. One of the best podcasts I've done yet. You can find Matty on Instagram. You can find what he's done if you want some inspiration. He's got his YouTube stuff out there as well. You got yeah. still got the yeah, jet ski yeah, and the motorbike yeah, and all yeah. that. It's all there, mate. Go check that out. Check out the story on the um the rugby team yeah. winning that for the first Healing time. Diggers. Diggers. Look, I'll have all the links to all this stuff in the comment section or on my social medias. I'll find it all. And we're also going to do, if you don't mind, I'll pull apart your uh, Instagram and all these videos. And yeah, throughout mate. the podcast, I'll just throw up stuff so people can watch this on YouTube as well. Perfect. So, stoked. All right, there it is. Thanks, Thanks guys. Woo! <laughs> wow, that was the Any Given Chance podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you want to see some more action, head over to our socials and give us a like, share, and subscribe. We're on YouTube at the Any Given Chance podcast and on Instagram and TikTok at Any Given Chance. And if you can hit share and subscribe, much appreciated as we grow. Plus, we're always looking for new guests. So if you know someone in the midst of a battling, good little bit of adversity or someone who's been successful, message us direct. We always check out inbox. And of course, if you want to check out old episodes, repurposed ones, you can jump over to our website, which is anygivenchancepodcast.org. 
Thanks for joining us once again. I'm your host, 3AM365, Maddie Menion. No days off, no excuses, and I can't wait to catch you on the next one.